0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: So I was uh, going to see this therapist and and even after identifying sexual addiction and, and all of the stuff that we went through, it still took me a couple of months and and one more bender to finally even attend an essay meeting and, and when I came to an essay meeting I had of course you well, never been to something like this you know you have no idea what you're going to walk into and I'll never forget walking down the steps thinking to myself what has it come to this what 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 the hell is this going to be like you know having this this thought of who's in that room you know and so I get down there and I couldn't believe my ears these people and not only that they're just folks like me that got jobs like I got and trying to live life like I am, and I, I don't know what I thought I was going to... I really don't know what I thought I was <laughs> going to walk into. And it wouldn't have mattered. I've already walked into all kinds of crazy stuff I might have died from anyway. So what do you think I'd be worse than... <laughs> I mean, really. So it's like, yeah, and I was somewhat pleasantly very surprised that you know these people are saying things in a sentence that I've only ever thought. I was starting to say things in a sentence I've never said in my life out loud about myself, and I really started to move into this thing. But even at that, it took me a couple of years before I finally started to really work the program. And the reason it took me a couple of years is because I'd gotten a sponsor, and then that guy lost his sobriety and told me he didn't want to sponsor me anymore. And I went three, four, five months before it really occurred to me, you know, I don't really have a sponsor here. And so I finally realized that, yeah, I was coming to meetings, and I was learning about the stuff I struggle with but I was still just as crazy as I was before and I really hadn't made any progress so there was a guy in the meeting that, that really had what I thought I wanted and he seemed to be out of everybody the one that was <clears throat> talking the most about step, work, and recovery and so I asked him to be my sponsor and, and um, he says alright, well, let's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to try to figure out if you're even a sex addict. Uh, what? Somebody come to meetings and he said, No, no that's, that's fine. He said, We need to understand if you're even a sex addict. He said, So you, you work in an engineering environment. Here's what I want you to do. You guys do business cases, right? Oh, yeah, everything's got to have a business case, right? Right, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to give me two business cases. And we're going to look at them. He said, The one business case is going to be about how you're going to build me a business case why you're not a sexaholic. And then the other one's going to be how come you are one. Okay, and, and this is Monday, so I don't want to hear from you until Thursday. And when you call me on Thursday, we're going to talk about what you've been doing between now and then on these business cases. They shouldn't be hard. So I call him on Thursday and said, you know, I've got some stuff here about, you know, this one about how I'm a sexaholic, but I'm not coming up with a whole lot to tell you about how how I'm not a sexaholic. Because after I start doing the homework, (laughs)
2: it's
1: just getting real hard, you know, to think that I don't qualify completely for this. And we talked some more about it. He says, all right, here's what I want you to do. So as I think back, I, I don't ever remember him actually coming out and telling me, yes, I'll be your sponsor. <laughs> <laughs> He's kind of like that, what So I started doing the work with him. And the work we did was out of the AA Big Book, and I really hadn't opened it a whole lot. Because we had always spent time in the white book at that time. There was only one meeting in Detroit at that time. That was eighty-nine. I'm sorry, ninety-eight. I'm dyslexic too. But ninety-eight. Um, and so, after working step work with him, and I'll just fast forward that because that's what this whole retreat is about. So I don't need to cover that now. Um, I got better in ways I never thought possible. Problems began to disappear. I stopped driving like a jerk. Stopped being a danger to myself, my family, and and the people in my environment. I became a better employee and my life just got a lot better and I started to calm down. And I had never calmed down. I just never had calmed down. And I'm thinking, wow, this is something else. I started to be able to put some sobriety together. I started feeling like I'd, you know, there was some distance between me and my response to lust. There had never been any distance between it before. Before 1998, I could not drive by a place of nude entertainment. Couldn't do it. <coughs> Since 1998, I have not shadowed the door of a, of a place of nude entertainment anywhere. By God's grace... I'll finish today not going to another topless bar. And if I'm still in the groove that I'm in today, I won't go to one tomorrow. And that's how I do it. And I would like to hope and pray that I might assume ambient temperature without ever going into another one of them places again, but we'll just take it a day at a time and see how it goes. So far, that was a long time ago. So I'm absolutely sober from that. But I had fits and starts with sobriety. I couldn't leave myself alone. I'd learn how to leave myself alone. I'd learned to how to leave the freaking computer alone, which is a pain in the butt when you're in a world full of computers. And eventually the obsession lifted. the lust always was around, but the obsession lifted, and that of all things, has been one of the most one of the most wonderful blessings of recovery I've ever had. So that's what I was like. That's kind of what happened. We'll talk about the details of what happened in this 12-step retreat. But for right now, I can have all kinds of different friends. I can be productive at work. I can be a subject matter expert. I can be someone that people like having around. I I think my wife even likes having me around every now and then, which is pretty remarkable in itself, unless I'm just missing it. <laughs> uh, the kids don't mind having me around, which is pretty cool. Um, and that woman has every reason in the world to just throw me out of my life, throw me out of her life and take at least half of everything I got. Always has had the right to do that. Um, so the fact that I get, you know, the privilege of living there, even though my name's on the mortgage, it's still a privilege. Um, and I really am grateful for that because it, there's a lot of guys that tell a different story and, and my heart goes out to them. But, for me, that's my story so far, and, and I'm sponsored by a guy who's given us this format. That's how much I need this format. That's how much I need this material. So that's my solution, and that's been working. So I'm going to pass right at that. Thanks, Bob.
2: Thanks,
3: Bob. I'm Kevin. I'm a recovered sexaholic. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Um, <clears throat> I'm gonna try not to wallow too much in the past because that's that's the problem and and, uh, we're all about the solution this weekend, but I want to give you enough of an idea um, uh, to show you that that I really am a a sexaholic of the the hopeless variety. Um, My uh, obsession with uh, pornography uh, started I'm not sure exactly how how old I was, I must have been 12, 12, 13 maybe, um, discovered my my dad's pornography. He didn't have a lot of it, but he had he had a couple magazine stuff between his mattresses and uh, I, I found them one day when I was taking a nap on, on his bed and uh, right away I had to you know share that with my brother my my younger brother by 18 months and uh, boy, this is this is something different this is cool um... <clears throat> couldn't keep my hands off of, off of the uh... pornography every every uh... every chance i got i would go sneak you know a, a look at uh... my dad's pornography um... discovered masturbation along with that and that was uh... Boy, that was that was great. You know, that was um, that became that became a, uh, an escape. Uh, I like the feeling. I know, the big the big book. We'll, we'll talk about this later. But uh, people drink uh, alcoholics drink mainly because they like the effect. While well, I I masturbated and looked at pornography mainly because I like the effect. Um, <clears throat> and um, it became a habit came i became obsessed with it um, had a uh, i was never really comfortable in social situations um even talking talking to uh to girls or you know women in high school um, I had my uh first serious girlfriend um my first year out of high school um and um, we had sex very, very quickly, um, and that that became that became quite a problem because i was I was obsessed with that. Um, doing crazy things, you know, like um like having sex with her in the dining room while her father was sleeping on the couch in the living room, yeah like from here to there. <laughs> wow, you know. Um at the time it seemed kind of cool, but you know I look at back at that now and it's like, what if that guy was homicidal <laughs> you know it uh, was pretty dangerous um i had a, I had a string of um a string of girlfriends i was I was never rarely without a girlfriend and um uh, relationships were always sexual, always sexual first. Um, <clears throat> I met a, uh, I met a woman who had become my first wife, um, and, uh, that marriage lasted, um, only three years, almost to the day, three years. Um, she never really gave a reason. She she filed for divorce, uh, and she never really gave me a reason. Though I, I I begged her to tell me why why she was divorcing me, and she never really gave a reason. But today I know um, it's because I was really emotionally, sexually unavailable, just utterly unavailable. Um, I was openly. Um, I was openly lusting after other women in front of her. Um, you know, arousing jealousy and suspicion. Um, I, I was continuing to masturbate to pornography. And, uh, and she knew about it. Um, even though I was um, al- quite a- embarrassed about it. Um, I tried to keep it hidden um, so after after the divorce um I was living on my own uh for a few years, and uh, my addiction to pornography just um really took off it it um, it got pretty bad uh to the point that well the the internet was just kind of ramping up around that time actually i was uh I recall still being on dial-up, spending hours, hours a night downloading, you know, that that three-second video clip. (laughs) You know? Ridiculous. Um, But at the height of my addiction, um, I was staying up all hours of the night uh, searching for pornography, watching pornography, masturbating. Um... Maybe trying to get a little bit of sleep, but waking up, you know, half an hour later and, and doing some more. Um, and during, you know, during the work week, I might have gotten, you know, a few hours of sleep each night for, for four or five nights in a row. Um, that's not really conducive to productivity at work. Um, I lived in fear. I was I was afraid that that I would be called on the carpet at work for lack of performance. Um, I was afraid that, that people would find out. Anybody would find out um, what I was doing. You know that I was at I was at pervert uh, that came home in the, you know the middle of the summer when it's light out. But I I come home at, at five o'clock and I shut all the blinds and curtains. You know. Um, never you know seeing the light of day um... <clears throat> and uh... my life was miserable I, I was like I said I was living in fear I I um... I, I was just uh... sick of sick of myself why can't why can't I why can't I get anything done why can't I how come I don't have any time to spend on my on the hobbies, on the things I like to do? Because I couldn't stay off the computer. I couldn't. Uh, I couldn't stop. Um, I couldn't stop masturbating to, to pornography. Um, and and I would masturbate to the point of, of physical harm often. Um, I, I won't get too. Graphic with that, but um, tried to quit a couple times. Got so sick of myself uh, and what I was doing that I would uh, delete everything off of my computer. Usually that would be one or two o'clock a.m. Try to go to bed, get some sleep because I was I was just so dog tired. wake up an hour later in a cold sweat wondering what what the hell I've done. I'm going to start collecting pornography again. I just deleted it all. What am I going to do without all this pornography? Um, Did that a couple times. Um, Met the woman that would become my my current wife, and um, we had uh, moved in together and uh shortly before we actually um uh, got married, um I was working at home and quote unquote working at home. <laughs> um and uh she had gone off to do something yoga yoga or something, and I thought she was, you know, gone. And this is a testament to, to how how oblivious I was to real life when I was acting out, when I was when I was into you know my obsession um, and addiction. Um, the the place we live in is built in the mid '60s, and we had all the carpet stripped out. It's bare wood floors, and it creaks like anything. I mean you can't, you cannot walk up the stairs without making a lot of noise. It's just impossible. And I was upstairs and I did not hear her come in the door, I did not hear her coming up the steps and the next thing I know she's caught me you know um, masturbating to internet pornography. Um, I was I was so afraid of that event occurring of anybody finding out um, that I was doing what I was doing that I, I, thought, I thought I would die literally if, if someone caught me and, w- and when she walked in on me I, um, I felt like I was dying I had an out-of-body experience where I was in the upper corner of the room looking down upon myself, facing my wife, moving my mouth, saying, I've got a problem. I I, I need to get some help. I don't know where that came from. Because that's really the last thing I wanted to, to say or admit. Um, as fortune would have it, um, she was not a stranger to addiction and she was actually at that time uh, seeing a therapist for some of her own issues um, surrounding, um, surrounding sex and, and sexual abuse. And um, she uh, invited me to, to come to a session, to, to see her therapist. And um, so I did that, and he, he diagnosed me with sexual compulsivity. that pill? Oh, okay, I can handle that. Uh, you know, it's probably a good thing he didn't use the word sex addiction, because that probably would have scared the hell out of me. I probably would have ran out of there screaming. Um, sexual compulsivity, okay. Don't they have a pill for that or something? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought it was something like, you know, OCD, you know, obsessive compulsive yeah. disorder. Okay, <laughs> how bad can it be? Um, I started seeing a therapist in, in his office um, and very shortly that therapist uh, strongly suggested
2: <coughs>
3: that I seek out a 12-step program. Um, I went to a couple meetings of, of a few uh, different S programs. And um, eventually landed in an essay program in the basement of the uh, church in Ferndale on Monday night. Um, and there was a guy there, my first meeting, there was a guy there that was getting his 10 year token. I was like, 10 years? How can you, How can you not touch yourself for 10 years? This guy this guy had done it though. And and I learned that there were there were other guys there. There was another guy there that was was seven years. And it's like, oh my God. But there were a lot of people, you know, with with a month, two months, a few weeks, so you know, I wasn't a few hours. Yeah, a few hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't alone. Um They had a sponsorship statement at the, at the end of the meeting uh, uh, um, which invited uh, people who wanted to be temporary sponsors to raise their hands. And uh, I picked out a guy to be my temporary sponsor. Um, I didn't know much about this guy. All I knew is that, that he, I, got a, I got an inkling that, that he might share some common, common interests um, in, in music with me. So I thought, yeah, we'll share some common interests. Maybe maybe this guy will, you know, uh, be a good temporary sponsor. Um, I was eager to start working the steps, whatever those were, uh, and called him occasionally. Um, and and uh, and after a couple of weeks, I asked him, I said, so so what do I what do I need to do to get started on this on these on these steps? I, I hear you guys talking about. Oh, uh, I don't really, um, I don't really buy into all that. Just uh, you know, call me, call me when you're when you're not feeling very good or something like that. You know, just just give me a call once in a while, and and you know, that's all. Um, a few weeks later, I learned that, that 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 guy didn't show up at the at the meetings anymore, and uh, rumor had it that he had. Um, left the program and run off with one of his students. (laughs) Um, I I say all that because uh, I've learned that sponsorship is is extremely important and and getting a sponsor who has something to offer is really important. Um, In our Tuesday night meetings we we have modified that um, Sponsorship statement to uh, qualify it, so that um, so that those who are approved by their sponsor to be a temporary sponsor can raise their hand, um, and that's important because now I now I know now the new guys know you know who's got who's got a sponsor who's been told by their sponsor that, that, yeah, they've got something to give. Um, and and they, um, in order to do that, they must have been sponsored and, and um, worked um, at least some of the steps. Um, I went to the uh, Detroit Sunday meeting and uh, found a guy there, uh, same, same guy that Bob had, Will, and uh, he had he had what i was looking for the reason i i know that is because we went out for um it was kind of a um kind of a tradition that that we would uh, go out ap- after the meeting uh for coffee and um i went out with coffee uh, for coffee with them and and i witnessed will calling his wife and and i And I saw how he interacted with his wife over the phone. And I was just blown away by the intimacy. I'm not talking about, you know, um, sexual intimacy. I'm talking about just the the intimacy of of having an honest conversation um, that isn't... uh, that wasn't. That was the farthest thing from the kind of conversations I had. You know, the, the conversations I would have with my wife would be full of you know dodges and lies and well, you know, I I don't really want to let you know what I'm doing, but I'll I'll tell you enough to you know so that you won't be mad at me. <coughs> he had an honest conversation with his wife. Hey, hey, honey, I'm I'm going out for coffee. Um, here's where we're going, and. um I'll be home at this time, and and, uh, I love you. Wow.
2: What the hell was that?
3: So I I, I made it a point to ask him um, the next time I saw him, the very next week. So so I I need a sponsor. Will you sponsor me? And like Bob said, I don't think he ever answered the question directly. His answer was another question. He says, I don't know, can you follow directions? I, I think so. Good. Call me every day. Okay. So I uh, called him every day, um, and uh, I, I asked him to, to take me through the steps. You know, show me what these steps are about. And, and right away, he's like, he, "He didn't. He didn't give me any, any of this. Well, I don't believe in that kind of crap stuff." He gave me all right. Get yourself a big book. (laughs) Start reading. Let's do your first step. Make a couple lists. And then we'll talk about it. Um, so I began working the steps with Will, and, uh, things started getting better. I still had, um, I I was still kind of white-knuckling sobriety. Um, but I, I did that until I until I really started to get the gift of the program. And step one and two. Step one, realizing that I had a problem. That that didn't that didn't stop the white knuckling. Um, step two didn't really stop the white knuckling. Step three started to. Once I once I. Once I got through step three and really made a decision to turn my will over to God, let God run my life, I got, I got, I got someone, I got something, I got a power I can surrender this thing to. White knuckling started to go away. Sobriety became, became easier. Um, and so on through the steps. It, it, as, the further I progress through the steps, the easier sobriety has become um... I know I'm not cured um, some of you may have have noticed when I introduced myself I said I'm a recovered sexaholic that's something we don't hear a lot that's something I got from Bill S um... we'll we'll learn about that um, in a little bit here um... so I I claim I'm recovered but I'm not cured um, you you could say um, that my addiction is in remission, um, and that's the way I I think of it. Um, and I don't live in fear like I used to. My my life used to be driven by fear, fear of everything, and and today I just don't have those fears. Um, the work I did in in, in step four. Um, really began to to um, remove the fear in my life. Um, so with that, I think we'll get get started on the material.
1: Excellent. Does everybody have a big book Kevin? Yeah, thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. Get your big books out, fellas. And we're going to open right to the front. Um, it's like the second or third inside page that has the title right on it.
2: I'm going
1: to let these guys gather up their yeah. materials here for a second. So if you open up to the, the cover page, the, internal, the inside cover page here where it says Alcoholics Anonymous, Um, I want to point out something that Kevin alluded to when he was talking about his story. And and, and have you look there where it says, Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And then it will tell you what edition it is. I I happen to be working out of a third edition. I I may be the only one in the room working out of a third edition. Do you have a third? Who else has a third? The very cover page at front. Where it says... So, most of y'all probably have a fourth edition. I have an extra fourth edition too, but... Um, the page numbers will differ in in between third edition and fourth edition, but only if it's a full publication and only in the back half. The front pages, the core... Alcoholics Anonymous Big Book is, is uh, the front half of the books. Uh, the page numbers don't change. So my third and, and, the, and, the, and my fourth edition are pretty much page number for page number. Yeah, the,
3: uh, the actual numbers, um, page 1 through 164, are, are identical among all editions. Right. The front matter, the Roman numeral pages, uh, differ a little bit. Um, so if we refer to a page... And and you don't find it there. You might want to
1: you know look a couple pages uh, forward or backward. And the good thing about you're using a fourth edition, right? Yeah. So the good thing about us using either is that you know I'll, if I know of a page difference reference, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys know about it. So to keep it keep it going. But the reason I want to talk about what it says up here is, is my, my current sponsor Bill Bill S from from Nashville um, is my current sponsor largely because of his of his leniency of, of sponsorship. His sponsor and his sponsor's sponsor are people who I have met and had dinner with. And these people are steeped in years and years and years of study of Big Book and 12 and 12, conference approved literature. Their entire recovery is based on um, the Spiritual Kit of Tools outlined for us in Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and, and backed up in all the other publications. Now, um, Tom, my grand sponsor, is in his 80s and he's over 40 years sober um, in in AA, and and he is a wonderful <laughs> he is a wonderful gentleman to speak with. He, he is a he is a treat. And Rick is about one of the few people on earth that Mike could even sponsor. My Tom would my be sponsor. your grand grand sponsor. Grand grand sponsor. you right. I'm sorry. You're right. I, I stand corrected. Thanks. That's why we bring a <laughs> guy like Kevin Long, he keeps tabs of these little details I miss. But yeah, he's my yeah, he's up there. So my grand sponsor is about the only guy that could probably have effectively sponsored my sponsor, um, who who tells a very remarkable story. You'll want to look up uh, Bill's story at some point if you want to know how bad this can get, because um, <clears throat> it it was uh, it's a it's. It's one of the reasons in my world I know there's a God, because my sponsor is sober and alive. So um, this man, my sponsor, has pointed out this front page here where it says many many thousands of men and women have recovered. He considers himself a person who has recovered. And that was important to me, and I'm spending time on it, because as a sex addict in recovery who was recovering, I used recovering as an excuse. Play on words, guys, right? My whole life's a play on words. So if all I'm ever doing is recovering, that means I ain't there yet, right? And if you're an entitledist like I am, you know, I was using that for the wrong purpose is what I'm trying to tell you. That's why it took me so long to put together some sobriety, because all I was ever doing was just recovering. I was just bumping along. Yeah, well, I think it's time to get serious. And so when my intention shifted from recovering to be wanting to become recovered, ooh, think about that. So what happened is I started to do the work. And so that's why I'm spending some time on that. But in the spirit of what I read earlier, fast forward out to page 59, and you'll remember I read the preamble in the chapter uh, called How It Works, chapter 5, up to the point on chapter... Or I'm sorry, on page 59, where it says at the top, here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Now, is everybody with me here on this? So each one of us are going to kind of go around the room, and each of us is going to read a step. So I'll start, and we'll go around to my right. Um, I'm Bob, I'm a sexaholic.
2: I'm
1: step one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, or in our case, lust. And that our lives had become unmanageable.
2: And said, You too came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could bestow us to sanity. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Adam, sexaholic? Yeah. Adam. And Adam, Adam, step three. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him.
1: Thanks, Dan.
2: Thanks, Dan. Thanks Dan. Scott, sexaholic? Scott. Scott. Made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves.
1: Yes, To committed to
2: God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our lives. Thanks, Thanks, We're entirely ready to have God to remove all these defects of character. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Is that Yeah. The owns Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Thanks, Neil. I'm a and sex addict. number eight, am of all persons we have fine. I'm going to make amends for the ball. That's right. Bill, sex addict. Okay. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when you do so with injure them or others. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. That's Continue to take personal inventory and when we are wrong, probably the meditative. Is that what it's a call? Thanks. Eleven Song through prayer and meditation to improve our consciousness. excuse me, pre-conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to create it us. Thanks, Marjorie. Thank you. Thank you. Six hey, John. Uh-huh. Hey, John Well having a spiritual awakening as a result of the these steps, we tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles
1: to all our cars. Thanks, John. Excellent. Thank you guys for for reading through those. And so that's what our program is. And and so what we have now is a segment on what our program is not. And so Kevin, I'd like you to kind of spend a few moments on that.
3: Yeah, so the program. I think it's important that that we understand what the program is because we often hear about the program. People um, someone will often say I'm working my program. Well I hope I never work my program because my program didn't work. the program, the 12 steps, does work. What is not working the program? Going to meetings. Is that working the program? No. Calling your sponsor. Is that working the program? Participating in the fellowship. That's not working the program. All these actions can strengthen our recovery, but unless you're actively taking steps Actively working these steps as instructed, um, you're not working the program. So, when we talk about the program, we're talking about the 12 steps. <clears throat> um, it says in the 12 and 12, I don't know how many of you have got 12 and 12s. I don't know if we asked you to bring it. Um, I'll just uh, read the quote here, it's a short one from page 15. The 12 steps, Um, AA or SA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. So what is the program? The program is the 12 steps. What are the 12 steps? They're a, a group of spiritual principles.
1: You know, and a note on that too, Kevin, while you mentioned this, this whole notion of spirituality, spiritual principles, um, you know, it talks about in the beginning part of the White Book, our problem is threefold, spiritual, emotional, and physical. And that, that's a that's a a trifecta that has really been resonating with me a lot lately, especially. Um, I think as as I've stayed in recovery this long now, you know, they say more will be revealed, right? And I look back on how I was, how I remember myself being as as a functioning sexaholic, and, and I ask now a lot about, you know, I wonder what my motive was. And it's become clearer to me that my motive purely was physical. In fact, my whole entire engagement to life was nothing more than a physical, I'm looking for a physical feedback. I never even really dabbled back at that time. With I give a shit about emotions and spirituality. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm, you have to remember, all this time, I've been part of a faith tradition that goes back five generations in my family. I've rarely missed a Sunday church service in my life. And I was telling my sponsor this, you know, on the part about where you need to understand God. I said, I already don't understand God. He says, yeah, I want you to forget everything you know about God. I said,
2: what? <laughs> don't take me there.
1: He says, yeah, so it kept you sober, huh? Really? How'd that work for you, man? So whose God was it anyway? Your God? somebody else's God because you were checking in and checking out checking in and checking out that's all you ever did I want you to get a God of your understanding you ain't finding him on Sunday is my bet you've been looking there all your life and it ain't yet worked my problem was threefold spiritual emotional and physical my life is threefold. It is spiritual, it's emotional, and it's physical. And I don't care what your spiritual pursuit is. I don't care if it's Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, Christian, Jewish. I don't care. Because it's all the same God, anyway, and at least in my opinion. And we can sort that out later if I'm stepping on feet. Come see me after with break. But here's my point a human life is not just physical. I tried to make it just physical. I worked real hard. So our program for recovery, if a human life is spiritual, emotional, and physical, I call it SEP, had better touch on all three of those things or it's just not going to work. It's just going to be another one of the many things I tried to get this thing to quit that didn't work. But no, these guys were different. They said this is going to be spiritual, emotional, and physical. And then they let me figure it out for myself. And then showed me how to figure it out for myself. So I just want to spend a minute or two on that. I'll hopefully I didn't go too long. But, Kevin, pick it up from there. Please. Yeah. Um, so uh talk about the
3: importance of sponsorship. We talked about sponsorship. You talked about sponsorship in your story, Kevin. Yeah. Why is it important?
1: Why is it important that I have a sponsor? Why is it? So I don't know about you, Kevin, but... I think you might, you guys have already probably figured out from my story, and if you spend it more than one meeting where I've been, <laughs> I, I, I'll i just apologize right at the beginning that, that you get to spend the entire weekend. Some people consider it overexposure to me, um, so if it's a problem with you, I, I, I'll i just start right out. Please forgive me. it uh, <laughs> can be a lot. I can be intense, and I sometimes run long. And so I'm just asking for your forgiveness now and, and um but anyway. Why should you get a sponsor? Well I'll tell you, if you're somebody like me, you're more than willing to be your own damn sponsor. <laughs> man, I gave it I gave that a run, man. And there's these guys in the meeting always talking about how self sponsorship just doesn't work. And I remember thinking, I'm gonna figure out how to make it work. I, I, you know, really, I did that. I, I I did that. And man, did it not work. And I, I now know that the reason it didn't work is that I was trying to be sponsored by a complete idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and and a guy finally looked at me one day and he said to me, he said, so, you know what your best thinking got you, Bob? It got you to the meeting. That was your smartest moment. You know, you really got to get somebody to help you from there, though. And that stuck with me. And and that's not long after that, you know, I got with Will. and, And by the time I got into Will, there's another governing factor, and it works really good even for people like me that are just taking life themselves and every other damn thing way too seriously. I was way too impressed with myself it was just not working and and the the overriding principle is that everybody gets sick of enough bullshit and my entire life was nothing but bullshit and it got to a point where i just couldn't talk myself out of the fact that my life was bullshit i was tired i was wore out covering my tracks worried Kevin talked about it. Fear all the time. Driven by a hundred forms of fear. It just killed me. So how can a guy like that... What, what's a person like that got to offer? Well, if you're interested in living a life of fear, I can show you how to do that. But outside of that, you know, that's what I was sick of. So the very one sick of himself, you know, doctor, heal yourself, it wasn't going to happen. I was far too close to the forest for the sake of the trees. You know... um, I needed help and I needed help a lot longer than I was finally willing to admit it. And if I was going to get help I needed to accept help after I figured out I needed help. Think about that. I'm giving you a pause because I want that to sink in because I knew I needed help. I went and got help, and it wasn't until three years later that I finally decided to take help. Why? Because it wasn't until three years later that I was sick enough of my own bullshit to stop. And when I stopped, I said, that's it. I, I just can't do this anymore. And what I became was someone that was willing to listen and absolutely do. And here's how I talked myself into it. Because even then, I was still full of shit. Because that's all I'd ever been. I didn't know how else to live, right? (laughs) I've only ever been full of shit. So why wouldn't I still be full of shit? So I said to myself, all right, we're going to get this guy to sponsor us. And oh, yeah, because there's many of us, right? I'm a multiple personality, but that's another discussion for a different point. But I said... (laughs) We'll get this guy to sponsors. And then when it doesn't work, it'll be his goddamn fault. That's my excuse. And by God, it worked. (laughs) Because at step five, I'm a new man. And the noises calmed down. The rest of these guys left. And the obsession in the mind began to leave. And I want you to know that working through step one and the things that were said to me I couldn't have made up in my finest hour, working through step two being told I need to forget everything I've ever known about God and start over. I wouldn't have done that. Working through step three. Saying, yeah, okay, memorize the prayer. But then we're going to talk about it. And you're going to memorize the prayer. I haven't memorized anything. Except for women's phone numbers. Or something. Or pornography. <laughs> yeah, you're going to memorize the prayer. Okay, so I memorize the prayer. And he says, now what you're going to do is you're going to say each sentence and you're going to stop. And you're going to wait for your gut to mean it. I would have never done that. So look at all this stuff I'd have never done. And a step four, no way. I, there's no way I'm writing that list. You're writing a list. And I didn't call him for two weeks. He says he calls me. He never calls me. He calls me up. He says, I haven't heard from you. He says, why haven't I heard from you? And I said, well, you know, and I'd give him some side st-. He says, all right, st- stop, stop. Here's why I haven't heard from you. You're just like me. He says, you're nuts. You're writing out all these people, these things, these institutions that you hate, and you're just about crazy right now. And you, if, if there's ever been a time you need to stay in touch with me, it's right now. So here's what we're going to do. Next Saturday, you're coming to the house, and we're going to start with what you've got. And the reason I'm calling you is because you're more of a danger to the people around you being this way than any other thing. We're trying to keep this thing from getting completely out of hand. So get your ass down here next Saturday and bring everything you've got. And I don't know if he was that blunt with me, but it felt like he was.
3: Yeah, he was. It was Will.
1: It was Will. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, I am a personality that needs that. That's not a sponsorship style that is used for everybody, okay? Because not everybody is as big of an asshole as I am. Thank God. But I needed that. And we went down there. I went down there. I brought all of us. And, and we sat in the room, <laughs> and I was going to figure out you know, how I'm going to take care of all these things on this list that I'm so pissed off about. We'll get into that when we get into the step four part. But you see what I'm saying to you? This, what did I start out here with this discussion? I started out with what is the importance of sponsorship? Can you see that there wasn't any possible snowballs, chance in hell of me getting anywhere near any of that stuff by myself? Do you understand that without that work, I'd be dead? Because what I was starting to set up was going to kill me. And if it didn't kill me, it was only going to be because I was really lucky. And, and, And then when I came to the meetings, and I heard about this one guy who was telling a story about how he came around the side of his car and was getting into his wallet to pay the prostitute and the pimp thought that should have happened a lot sooner and he put a 9mm in his mouth I realized there isn't any reason at all why that couldn't have been me now I haven't done an escort yet like that I maybe got details that don't match his but I cannot count myself off of the list of people who wouldn't have done just exactly what he did At least once, if not more. I knew that. And that's why it scared me enough to say, I'm going to do this stuff. So, if you ever want to know about whether you need a sponsor or not, if you're still trying to do this without a sponsor, maybe you haven't felt enough pain yet. But, you know, there's a part of the woods in the Harry Potter movies, you should not go alone. (laughs) And if you, you to go get the movie. if you haven't seen the Harry Potter movies, some of them have wood stories, man. That, the parts where they go into the woods and there's a dead unicorn and shit. That was me. That was me, that dead unicorn laying in the floor. <laughs> that was me trying to self-sponsor. Okay, That was a beautiful mental image. I, you know. But that's just how scary my life was going to be without sponsorship. I can't learn this stuff without an instructor. I can't get a degree. It's like just showing up at the University of, of Michigan and hanging around for four years. And then going to commencement and wondering why they don't have your name. That's what being in 12-step recovery is like not wanting to have a sponsor. don't you to think about that. Go hang around Ann Arbor for a while. Show up to a few buildings and pick up a few things. See what, how they treat you in four years. They haven't already thrown you off campus for loitering. <laughs> You can't loiter and get this, is my point. So maybe that's enough about the importance of, of sponsorship. We, we may have a lot of fun with it on Tuesday night. We have a, it's, sponsorship is... Oh, fundamental, quintessential, <laughs> we have absolute. Somebody, yeah, yeah we, have, we have a whole list of words we insert into the sentence, and we, make, we try to make fun of it, but we absolutely believe in every one of those words. Why? Because we all know, those of us who changed our life from what it was to what it is now, and that what it is now is better, absolutely know, to the man, none of that would have happened for us without our sponsors. So that's that's as far as we should go with that discussion. What's next, Kevin.
3: You? you know, I was, I was just kind of thinking ab- about... Um uh, sponsorship and, and, the, and the nature of uh, the big book. The, the big book. Um, the instructions for the twelve steps have all through them um, references to um, telling another person, um, you know, working with other people. Um, all all the, uh, uh, the all the exposition is here. In here is in terms of we. Um, this is really. This is really an oral history it it's a it's a it's a um it's a program that was passed on person to person uh, before um, before they decided that they they had to get it get it done in black and white so that they could help more people um, but I can't just go to the book and 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 read it and try to do stuff on my own. Um, it's really still very much a person-to-person um, one guy helping another uh, program, as, as we'll see. Um, so what we're doing here, we haven't even really got to step one yet. We're establishing some foundations. Um, so next thing uh, we'd like to establish is why, why do we use the big book? This is this is this is the book of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. We're uh, we're not alcoholics. Some some of us may be alcoholics, but the the program we're in is Sexaholics Anonymous. So why why do we use the Big Book? Um, we have a we have our own book. We have the White Book, Sexaholics Anonymous, um, written by uh, largely, uh, if not entirely, I, I'm not sure. Um, by the founder of SA, Roy K. Um, and uh, Roy tells us in the, in the in the white book directly why we should be uh, used in the big book. That's on page seventy-seven. If you have your um, white books,
1: <coughs> I get somebody to read that first paragraph. Yeah, on page seventy-seven. Daniel Daniel,
2: how it works: the practical reality. This title is adapted from Chapter 5 of Alcoholics Anonymous, entitled How It Works. The books Alcoholics Anonymous are 12 and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions, the 12 and 12, constitute the basic texts of the original 12-step program. This section is not intended to be a comprehensive exposition of the steps.
3: Okay, let's stop there. What do you just read? Roy tells us right there. That the books Alcoholics Anonymous and 12 Steps and 12 Traditions constitute the basic texts of the original 12 step program. Not only that, but he goes on to say the white book is not really intended to be the, the complete, um, the comprehensive uh, exposition on the steps. It's not intended to be um, just a rehash um, of, of the
1: big book. I think it says here, Kevin. It says I, I believe that our text, Sexaholics Anonymous, is most helpful if the reader if the reader uses it in conjunction with the Big Book. That's right. That's uh, that's uh,
3: Bill S's opinion, and uh, I agree with that.
1: Yeah, and to that end, you know, one of the things that that that, that you know, I'm a little slow on the uptake. You know, it took me a couple of years to finally actually get into the program, even though I was attending meetings all the time. So I, I've always placed myself in that group of people that's, you know, kind of a little slow on the uptake. Um, you know, I'm not the coldest beer in the fridge, but at least I'm not out on the <laughs> counter getting warm anymore. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, you know, the way it was finally couched to me that really stuck, and, and this was by a guy who was just as a remarkable researcher, and I had, the, I had the gift of being on a panel I was told to be on a panel at the Nashville Convention by my sponsor, and I had the gift of having this guy as one of the panel people that was on this particular topic. And, and he was an amazing researcher. In fact, he dove so hard into the big book, he went and got a 1939 Webster so he could use it to help him define the words. Why? Because the thing was written in 1939, and he wanted to know what the guy was thinking. He wanted to get a slice out of his life. So he could really understand the meaning of stuff. And I, and I thought, wow, that is just amazing. I had never thought of that. That is really cool. So I listened to this guy, and he started on this, this quick discussion. He says, look, guys, he says, you have to understand something. I spent seven years, fits and starts, never been able to put more than a few months together, trying to stay sober, only working with the white book. He says, don't get me wrong, I love the white book. It tells my story. It's got all kinds of great stuff in it. I need to know that stuff. But I, wasn't, I couldn't stay sober. And finally somebody started working with me out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in a meaningful way around doing the steps as they're outlined in there in conjunction with the white book. And by God, I got sober. Not only that, he says, for me, I stopped being suicidal. He says, so here's what I look like. You know, you're not going to learn about how to fix the specific problem in your transmission reading road and track. (laughs) You go get the service manual you will, though. He says that Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous for addicts, the type of which that a 12-step recovery program will help, is the service manual for you guys. That's what he said this guy told me. He says, we work out of here because this has the procedures. This is the ABCs of what to do. All this other stuff is more about it. And for us, we need to know more about it. Our problem is a little different than alcohol. But at the same time, it's just the same. Because we do our different problem the same way the drunks do alcohol. And he says then, the 12 and 12 was even more for the drunks about their drunk problem. And it just all ties together. And he says, when I started looking at these three... Publications that way and left them be in those categories. That's when this thing came together. So that's just more about that. I just wanted to jump in. Yeah. um,
3: Forward to the first edition in in the uh, in the fourth edition, the page um, Roman numeral
1: thirteen. It's just (coughs) way in the front, guys.
3: Xiii. You're uh, a little rusty in your Roman numerals. (coughs) Um says right here, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women. So 100 men. When they wrote the first when the first edition came out, they were only 100, 100, 100 recovered alcoholics.
1: How many are there today? There's, there's millions. Two and a half that's million, that's I think. Pretty, pretty someone amazing. said. I don't remember. That's a huge number. Yeah.
3: Anyway, uh, we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body to show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book so this book is intended to show us how those first alcoholics recovered precisely how they recovered as you read the big book, you will notice that there are certain phrases that are italicized. Um, those are the important ones. Oh yeah, there's that part. Yeah. Um, I got words, most of them highlighted. The words precisely how we have recovered <laughs> is in italics.
1: Yeah. So that's that's pretty important. That's kind of a general rule throughout the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. It? They must have had that one guy just wore out. All right, figure out what's got to be italicized here.
3: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so the, the, the title <laughs> of our
3: um, of our weekend here is um, we have a solution. So I want to share with you right now what the solution is, we just cut right to the chase. Um, turn to page 45 in the big book. Um where is it? I don't know. Violated.
1: Uh, yeah, let's see. did you want to start there? Um,
3: yeah, so uh middle uh near the top of page forty five first full paragraph, lack of power, that was our dilemma, so that's the problem we had to find a power by which we could live and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. We're going to talk more about that in uh, in in, uh, step two obviously, but where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Its main objective is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve
1: your problem. You'll notice it's pretty clear. He didn't say help you with your problem. didn't say put off your problem. It was pretty conclusive. It says solve. Yeah. So our solution, not fix, that's right. Because <laughs> fix, nothing never stays fixed. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I used to run a body shop, and you know, they just wreck it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so he's going to solve it. What's the problem? Lack of, power. Lack of power. What's
3: the solution? A power. A power. And it ain't me. That's Because right. we tried that.
1: A power myself. <laughs> All of us did. None of us had any good ideas.
3: And that's the main objective <laughs> of this book: is to find that power in myself. Um, we want to convince you too, as as we um, work through the uh, first step, that. That this book really works for sexaholism too. So we've established um, that, that Roy K uh, um, specifically says that the, that the uh, Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is our basic text. Um, but how do we know? How do we know, uh, other than just Roy K telling us, um, that the Big Book will work for us? as well as it works for alcoholics. So I want to keep, keep that in mind. Um, our fellowship is not even 40 years old, um, SA that is. In fact I was looking looking to find out how old SA was and the, the um, evidence that I can find is that the first edition of the white book was published in 1984.
1: Yeah, tomorrow of 1984. No,
3: 20 May, yeah, May 20th, 1984. Tomorrow. So that, that's 33 wow. years ago. 33 years ago. So I've got to believe that the essay started, <coughs> you know, didn't start with the publishing of the book. It, it started sometime before then. Um, but
1: we know that it's it's probably not more than than 35 or 36 years old. And I don't know the details of the history here, but but I do know that while Roy Kaye published the book 20 May 1984, the recovery he had accomplished had its roots in Alcoholics Anonymous to the point where, if you read Roy's story in the White Book, he talks about going to AA meetings.
2: Well, yeah,
1: for a they, really long time, trying to act have like MSA a drunk. Meetings. You know, he was trying to <laughs> pretend he was a drunk so they wouldn't throw him out. Because a lot of AA guys, if you've got a drug problem or, or some other problem, they don't even want you in their meeting. Um, they just don't. Some of these old, some of these, old, you need to just sit down and shut up. You know, hey, I, my name is such and such, and I'm a drunk, and then sit and listen. They don't even want you to share. Um, some some of these old hardcore dudes. Now nah, I don't know if that's always the case anymore, but I, I I'm told that there's still meetings like that, and that's where Roy, Kay learned how this twelve step recovery really worked. And so by the time he finally publishes a book and says, you know, hey, the this is more about sexaholism, but, um, you know, it is not... I'm, what I've got here on 20 May of 1984 is not intended to be a comprehensive exposition of the steps. That, that's found in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Why? Because that's where he went through the steps. And, he, and through his own practical experience, he knew the difference. So, go ahead. So...
3: Um my point is, is um, AA is over 80 years old, so we've got 80 years of, of alcoholics recovering um, as, as some evidence that this program works for alcoholism at least. Um, and we have within sexaholics, we have we know of a number of people who have 20, 25. How many years does Harvey have? Probably, probably close to 30.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Harvey has 30. Um, 30 years of. of um, Recovery from from sexaholism.
1: I, I will. I will. I will, My sponsor is in meetings with Harvey, and I will. I will find that out before the close of this seminar. I'm going to put that question out there. Cool. So.
3: so we're we're going to look for more evidence um, as we work through step one. Um, and we're running pretty late here. So do we want to take a, just a quick. Quick, uh, a five-minute break here. Yeah, I do. and then <clears throat> absolutely get into step one. So, all right.
0: I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to the Daily Reprieve